we are starting a new sermon series this morning, and for the next five weeks, we are going to be preaching from here, from the stage, um, sermons that are directed especially towards our youth. Now, we're not here to preach to them or at them, but rather it's me preaching what I wish someone would have taught me when I was 15, 14, 16 years old. And so it's not words of condemnation or judgment or more rules, because who likes rules, right? Um, parents like rules, by the way, but that's about it. Um, and so we're glad that Last Year Academy is here for us. And so this morning's sermon title is The Secret to Happiness. How many of us want to be happy all the time? Yeah, happiness is one of those things that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we all want to be happy. Now, you may not be able to point out when you're happy, but you can always point out when you're not happy, right? When you're sad, when you're down, when you're anxious, when you're depressed. We, we can tell when those things are happening. But when we're happy, it's, it, it almost is like a fleeting moment. And so this morning, I want to kind of teach us what the, the meaning, not even the meaning, but how we can attain happiness all of the time. Would you guys like to know how that works? So before I tell you how you can attain happiness all of the time, there are five scientific reasons, and I know nobody came here to learn science, but trust me, it's not boring. There are five scientific reasons as to why our idea of happiness is wrong. And so for you guys here, you'll be able to look at that screen right there and see the same thing that everyone is looking at. So number one, what we call happiness is a recent invention. So when you say um, this or that makes me so happy, um, there hasn't been like one definition of, in all Earth's history that has stayed the same for happiness. In fact, what we have learned is that the definition of happiness has changed over the years and over the thousands of years of Earth's history. So when we say today that something or someone makes us happy, that's a brand new definition in Earth's history. Did you guys know that? And just to prove to you, someone else says, my, my boyfriend makes me happy. Snuggles and puppies make me hunger, uh, happy. Sleeping makes me happy. Uh, music, candy, my family, hugs, um, hang on, I have more here. Free food makes me happy. <laughs> Expensive food makes me happy too, though, so <laughs> food in general. Um, being alive makes me happy. Being outdoors and going on hikes makes me happy. <laughs> someone some, someone self-promoting themselves. La Sierra Choir makes me happy. <laughs> A happy child, um, the thought that I'll get married and have kids and grandkids someday. <laughs> Django Unchained makes me happy. <laughs> I tried to see that movie twice and I couldn't get past the first five minutes. Knowing that I can trust people makes me happy. Um, if, I had a, if I had a prize to give, I would give to these two numbers. Um, they say, Jesus makes me happy. Um, my son's happiness makes me happy. The, the Lakers make me happy. <laughs> Not this season. <laughs> uh, the shadow proves the light, so sadness makes me happy. It's beautiful, but yeah. <laughs> And the, num the, the grand prize winner, by the way, and I don't have this number saved on my phone, it's to have you as our pastor makes me happy. I'm just going to sit down now. <laughs> yeah, see, 
The truth is, is there are so many different things that make us happy that there is no one definition for what actually makes us happy. And so the first thing for us to learn, and if you have your study guides that I, that I put in your bulletins, is that what we call happiness is a recent invention. And, and I think what happens sometimes is we feel like if we don't have that thing or that person in our lives or if something goes miserably wrong, something goes outside of the plan, then we'll, we won't have happiness and we'll have sadness. Um, and, and the problem with that is then we begin to chase after things that we think are going to make us happy. And we end up tormenting ourselves by thinking that because we are not happy all of the time, that we must be missing out on something that someone else has. But the truth is, is that it's nearly impossible to be happy all of the time. And if you don't believe me, I will show you my next slide. The number four reason our, our idea of happiness might be wrong is that you physically, your body, the way it is made, cannot feel happiness very long, or, or rather, all of the time. There's a research group, um, and they did a study. Now, how many of you would like to win the lottery? And I know we're Seventh-day Adventists, we don't play the lottery, but in your minds, you've all thought about what it would be like if you won the lottery. Yeah, I have. I don't play it, but I've thought about it. There was a study that, done, that was done that um, they asked lottery winners, regular people, um, people who had been in accidents and had become um, paraplegics, and they did this study, and, and what they found is that for all of these people, the lucky winners and the people who um, were relegated to a wheelchair for the rest of their life, what the study found is that they all had about the same number of good days and the same number of bad days. So you see, we oftentimes think that if things were just better, then we would be happier. If things were different, then everything would be better. But the truth is, is that no matter what your how your life is turning out, we all have the same chance at being and finding happiness. Um, the science behind it is that there's a place in your brain, and they're called hedonic set points, which means that no matter how much sadness comes into your life or how much happiness, that there is this equilibrium in your brain where you will almost always um, kind of um, zero out so that you will reach this equilibrium, and we all have it. So some people who are more optimistic, they're always, almost always going to be optimistic. So they, even when moments of happiness happen, they'll eventually come back to this equilibrium point. And so for those of you who have experienced some sort of deep sadness or some difficult or tragic event in your life, um, usually you won't stay sad forever. How many of you have ever broken up with someone and you're just like, why? Like, it's never going to get better. And then three months later, you're like, oh, wow, I'm better. That's because part of who we are and how we were made is that we weren't made to feel sad forever or happy forever, but rather to have this kind of equilibrium, this place where we can be centered. Now, we can work on that, but the good news about this is that just, because, just as we can't be happy forever, we're not going to be sad forever, and so there's this middle point where we can reach. So, number three, or the third one, is that money can buy you happiness. Wasn't it supposed to be the other way around? Money can't buy you happiness, right? No, but it can buy us a lot of things, right? And sometimes things make us happy. What studies have shown is that, yes, when you buy things, it makes you a little bit happy, right? Can we just agree? Sometimes it makes us a little bit happy when we get the latest, you know, the next big thing is already here type thing, right? You know, the Galaxy S4 that's better than the iPhone. I know, it's so divisive in churches, right? <laughs> 
No, but the truth is, is like, if we're honest with ourselves, when we buy things, it sometimes makes us a little bit happy. Otherwise, we wouldn't buy it other than food, right? But that makes us happy too. No, when we buy things, it makes us a little bit happy. But what the studies show is that that's just a, a short, like a burst of happiness, and then it's over with. So you might feel happy for a little bit, but it's a fleeting sense of happiness. And so as soon as that wears off, then you want to buy something else and buy something else and buy something else. And I think for most people, eventually, your money will run out, and then that's not happiness at all. So buying things might give us a little bit of happiness, but it doesn't last. And so what studies have said and what they suggest is invest in moments and experiences, because if you have a great experience the memory of that experience always becomes better. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you have ever told a story of something that happened and it wasn't all that great, but it was a little bit great, but five years later it was like the most amazing experience in your life? And sometimes that doesn't cost anything. So they say money can buy you happiness, but only for a short moment. Now we're getting somewhere, okay? I know you didn't come here to listen to some kind of psychology. We come to church to listen and to hear from, from God, from God's word, and we're going to get there. But before we get there, there's some few things that we need to look at. And number one, oh, no, I'm sorry, two. Freedom of choice doesn't always make you happier. How many of you in here are seniors in high school? How many of you know unequivocally what you're going to do for the rest of your life? And without a doubt. Yeah, so for all of you who are seniors, you have endless opportunity and options as to what you will do for the rest of your life. And it gets scary because what if you choose the wrong choice and then you're horrible at it? Or you can't get a job at it? Or you just aren't very good? So we think that having all of these choices is going to make us happier, but the truth is, is that then we begin to play these games of, well, what if I had chosen X instead of Y? And how would my life have been different if I had gone this direction and done this rather than this? And so instead of having happiness from all of these choices, instead we, it kind of brings us this sadness and depression that what if I had chosen different, would my life have been better? So having too many choices doesn't necessarily make us happy. And the last one, number one, treating happiness as a goal is bad news. So in a study that was where participants were asked to follow steps in a self-help book, right? We all know self-help books. There was participants who were asked to follow these self-help book rules, right? And other participants who were asked to watch an upbeat movie, a good movie. And they wanted to see how happy or how much like, fuller their life would be after doing these things and what ended up happening is that while they were trying to find happiness in these things that they were doing, they ended up feeling depressed because they didn't reach that place they thought they were going to get to if they just followed these steps or watched these upbeat movies or listened to upbeat music. So what happens is if you chase after happiness, you're going to be chasing after the wind. This idea of happiness, of wanting to feel this, this kind of feeling inside you, this adrenaline rush, that's not what we were created to live like. I don't know about you, but every moment of my day isn't always happy. As a matter of fact, for a lot of my life, for a lot of my days, it's this set of like, this kind of like just humming along, this like equilibrium. And every once in a while, things happen or people say stuff and they kind of bring this sense of joy within you and then it kind of recedes a little bit. 
would say it this way. In some ways, you have to stop trying to achieve happiness. Happiness as a goal, you will never actually find it because what, you're, what you think you're trying to get to might not exist. When your life is driven by finding happiness and being happy, you will be disappointed because that's not how life is supposed to be. It's out of our hands whether we feel happy or not. You can't force yourself to feel happy. There isn't a formula. It's because happiness is a feeling. It's an emotion. And feelings, we know, can be deceiving, right? A feeling can change in an instant. A a feeling and an emotion can change. If you're living your life and making decisions based on feelings and emotions, the chances are you're going to make some pretty bad choices, right? So we, we do things that we think make us happy, but sometimes they might be bad decisions. And so for us to try to live our lives, I'm talking to the young people in here, okay? Because you adults, you, you should already know this. If not, you're welcome. But for the young people, you guys are starting off your lives. You guys have so much future ahead of you. Don't make decisions based on your feelings. People, the movies have this romantic saying of follow your heart. Yeah, you have to follow your heart to the sense of what is God calling you to do and what, how is that working its way through you. But to choose who you date and who you marry just based on that feeling of happiness is the wrong way to choose. Choosing what career you're going to take or what you're going to do in life just by how you feel in a moment, that's not the way to choose. So now that I've depressed all of us, <laughs> I want to share with you something that's so much better than just thinking of wanting to be happy. And as a pastor, I get my source of inspiration, of knowledge, of the way I want to live my life through scripture. Um, I have a sense that you have your kids in a Christian or an Adventist educational um, school because it's important to you that they learn from scripture as well. And so I want to share with you something that I hope would be helpful. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 9 says, now this is at a time when Israelites, and this is where people begin to tune out, like we just had a bunch of fun, and now everybody's like, ah, we're going to go to the Bible. I encourage you, just give me about eight more minutes and we'll be done. The Israelites had been disbanded. I mean, the other um, Babylonians, the Chaldeans, had come in and destroyed everything, taken all of the leaders, all of the parents, and distributed them over all the region all right? And so now there's just a few people that Jeremiah is talking to, right? This is God's chosen people. And Jeremiah says this, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I would encourage all of you that instead of thinking of, I just want to be happy, we need to go from wanting to be happy to wanting to be blessed. When you wake up in the morning, do you have an opportunity to really be happy? Not really. Usually happiness comes, we think, as a result of something or someone or something that happens or good news. But that doesn't usually happen in the first hour. In fact, in the first hour of waking up, I mean, who wants to really wake up and go to school or work? No, you're like, ah, I got to take a shower, I got to brush my teeth, I have to eat something, I have to get to work, I have to drive to work, I have to sit in an hour's worth of traffic. Yeah, that's like the worst part of the day. So there's no happiness there, but if you wake up and you just take a moment to think, what are the blessings in my life? Well, I'm actually able to get out of bed and walk to the sink. Yeah, for some of us, it might hurt a little bit in our knees and in our joints, but that's good, because we're walking Young people, you don't know this. (laughs) You'll get there. 
Yeah, but when you wake up in the morning and you begin to think like, well, I'm thankful that I don't need somebody to, to do things for me. I can do them for myself. I can walk downstairs and pour my own bowl of cereal. Wow, I'm thankful that I have like 10 different choices of cereal. I'm thankful for the healthy ones too. I'm thankful <laughs> that my parents can drive me to school and I don't have to take an ugly yellow bus to school. I'm thankful that I get to wear a school uniform and we all look the same so it does, we can't tell who's rich and who's poor because we're all the same here. I'm thankful that there's books that are teaching me about life. I know, that you'll learn that one 20 years from now. I'm thankful for the teachers who take a low-paying job to be able to teach us what is really important in life. Wow, I'm, I'm blessed to have all of these things, even if it's just an iPhone 4S instead of an iPhone 5. I'm blessed to have a smartphone. I could go on. I could go on. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Forget about chasing happiness, because you're going to be chasing the rest of your life, and you are going to make some questionable decisions as you chase happiness. But if you take a step back and think about how you have been blessed... That begins to change things because all of a sudden it's not I want, I want, I want, but all of a sudden it's I can't believe I have so much. I have so much. Now, our world, the world we live in, is not about seeing how much we have. Everything is geared toward telling us that we need more and that thing that we need is going to make our lives better. But the truth is, is that's not true at all. Some things might make our lives a little bit better. Let's just be honest. Some things. But the majority of the time when, when companies are selling us something, they're just worried about a profit, and what they do is they trick us into thinking that that is going to make us happier. But the Bible tells us to be blessed. Think about blessing. And those who are blessed the most are those who what? Trust in who? The Lord. Now, that's not glamorous. That's not sexy. That's not fun. Boring. Who wants to wake up every morning and read their Bible? Don't raise your hands, adults. I'm assuming high school kids don't really want to do that. But yeah, what the Bible tells us is that if you put your trust in the Lord, not in your boyfriend, not in your girlfriend, not in your ability to get straight A's, not in your car, not in your clothes, not in what you have, not in your friends, but if you put your trust in the Lord, you will be blessed beyond measure. And he goes on to say this. He uses this illustration. Those who put their trust in the Lord, they shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. Those who put their trust in the Lord will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And the idea behind this is the closer a tree is to water, the roots will begin to kind of migrate and all of them will start turning towards the water and the roots will start growing and growing and growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And what ends up happening that when the heat comes, because these roots are so big and so much water is getting to them that even when it's hot, even when it's supposed to wither and die, it will not because it is drawing its strength from the water. God uses this, this analogy to say that this can be true for us. What's powerful about this, it says, it shall not fear when heat comes, which is a biblical way of saying when things go horribly bad and wrong and they go against the way they were supposed to go, when those moments come, you shall not fear. And it says, its leaves shall stay green. 
even in the midst of that horrible sadness, that deep depression, that anxiety that is crippling, even in those moments, if you are putting your trust in God, God will make you strong. And though the winds and the storms may come and the tree may bend, it will stand. Because those who put their trust in God will always have a solid foundation. And in the year of drought, you will not be anxious And you will never cease to bear fruit. You will never cease to flourish. You will never cease to experience life at its fullest if only you trust God. I have a sense that most of you are going to leave here today not remember very much of what I've said. So for the next 10 seconds, listen to what I'm going to say. Trust in the Lord. It doesn't mean you have to follow all these rules. You have to follow your parents' rules. That's my caveat. But I'm saying when all of these people put all sorts of rules and expectations on you and they say you have to be this way or that way to be a good Seventh-day Adventist, all I'm saying is just trust in the Lord. If you truly open yourself up to trust in the Lord, God will show you the way. We believe that to be true. Amen? Amen. Parents, I hope you believe that. God has not left you. He will not abandon your children. Even if you feel like, what are they doing? Trust him. And then there's two more short Bible verses that I want us to get to. So when, when those of us who say, well, Pastor Dave, you're a pastor. You're supposed to use the Bible to make these awesome examples. But, you know, life isn't as peachy king. I know, that's a weird word. It's not as awesome um, as you might think it is. Actually, you know, life is actually very difficult. My parents are going through a separation. My parents are divorced. They fight all the time. My boyfriend keeps cheating on me. My girlfriend keeps cheating on me. They treat me badly. I'm getting an F in algebra. Whatever it is. You say, you don't know what I'm going through. And the truth is, maybe I don't. But there's one story in the Bible, Job. Everybody knows the story of Job. And by the time the chapter one is over, Job has lost his kids and his wife and everything that he owned. Like, Job was done. Like, he could just lay down and die because there was nothing else he could do. And what is his response? It says, Job arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and he what? Worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. What do you do when things go bad? What is your addiction that you go to? Now, it may not be a substance, but it's something. We all have something. If it's Jesus and you go to Jesus, if that's your addiction, that's, you won. You won. <laughs> that's good. But I have a sense that's not, not, it's not what we always do. Job's response to living the most horrible experience that any human being, worse than we could ever imagine, his response is to fall on the ground and worship God and basically say, God, I trust you no matter what. Now, the next 30 chapters, he almost gets to the verge of really questioning God and making God upset and all that. That's 30 chapters later, though, and it gets way worse than this. But he ultimately trusts in God, and at the end, God vindicates him, and God gives him more than he ever had. So if you are going through a moment where happiness is elusive and it's so far beyond the horizon, you are not the first person who has gone through this, and there is hope. There is light on the horizon, and God will take you there if only you will trust him. And I'll finish with this. And if you trust God, 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It surpasses understanding, so I can't explain it other than just to leave it up in the air and say, if you trust God, if you truly put your trust in God and not in a person and not in a thing and not in your ability to do things, but just puts it, it's pretty much just saying, God, if you're there, I want to trust you because whatever I've been doing hasn't been working. God will be faithful and God will come through and the peace that surpasses all understanding will be yours. And I would finish by saying this. The secret to happiness is not searching for happiness at all. It is about seeing all of the blessings that are around you all the time and realizing that you have so much to be thankful for and that there is so much life still to be lived. Do we have an awesome pastor or what? And we get to hear him every week. You're welcome to come back and join us another time. But um, before we uh, take up our offering as the deaconesses come forward, I would just like to say how proud I am of these students. As some of you know, I've been working at La Sierra Academy for 10 years now. And um, this is my last year. I have decided to join my husband in retirement. But I will miss these. I will miss these students. I will. I try to get to work um, half hour early so I can get a jump on what's going to happen and, and have a handle on it. <laughs> um, and when I get there between 7 and 7.30, some of these kids are already here practicing because our music directors are already in session at 7 a.m. in the morning. So these students are driven. They're passionate. The teachers, the directors are passionate. Parents, I tip my hat to you for putting your children in Christian education because there's no other better place you could put them in. And it is the best investment you will ever make. Sure, our schools are not perfect, but it's the better place to put them. So thank you for being here again today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in our service where we can participate by bringing our tithes and offerings into the storehouse. We ask that you bless the giver and those who may not able, be able to give. And we ask, Lord, that you multiply these gifts and send them to their intended purpose that will hurry your kingdom, Lord, that we may be with you forever in a perfect world, Lord. We love you and pray in your name. Amen.